Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke chapter 15. We have an option for our kids downstairs. We love them and we're trying to do everything we can to care for them and raise them up to know God's love. They are welcome to take that option downstairs and they're also very welcome in this service. Uh, We always want to make sure that our church is a place where children are welcomed. They should be as welcomed in this local church as they were in the presence of Jesus. Luke chapter 15. If you would stand with me at the reading of God's word, we're going to read the entire chapter. This is God's word. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. That's Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so. I tell you that there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there... He squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son was dead 
and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's lift our hands as we come to God in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is powerful. We thank you, Lord, that your word is able to get in beneath the surface and do transforming work by your spirit's power. So we pray, Lord, that you would help us to sit under your word with celebration with openness, with an intent to follow. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to move closer to you this morning as a result of sitting under your word. Bless the preaching and the hearing of the word so that we may be both hearers and doers. We ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. months ago, I was talking to my dad on the phone, and, and he seemed upset. I was like, Dad, what's, what's wrong? He's like, ah, these people at the bank are crazy. I said, well, what'd they do? He said, you know, your mother and I had to get this house appraised, and so these people from the bank came out to my house, and they gave me this low estimate, and they didn't even consider the inside of the house. They just looked at the outside of the house. They didn't come in, and then they gave us this low estimate. I said, really? He's like, yeah. These people don't don't take into consideration how much work I put into this house. They didn't take into consideration how much I've invested in this house. They have no idea how much blood, sweat, and tears I put into this house. This house is worth more than they say. And if they would have taken everything into consideration, then they would know that. So when I got off the phone with my dad, something struck me, and it's this. Not many of us appraise homes for a living, but all of us know what it's like to be the bank. We assign value every day in every encounter. Every person we meet, in every situation, we're assigning value. Even people that we observe from afar, we are assigning value. And oftentimes, our appraisal 
comes back low because we're only considering the outside of the house. We're not considering what's going on beneath the surface. We're not considering all that God has invested into that person. We're not considering the work that he did to fashion that person in his own image and likeness. We're not considering all the things that God has done in order to make that person who they are. We are, we are content to assign a low value to people based upon external appearances. But if we were taking everything into consideration, then we would really know what those people were worth. A big part of living in the kingdom of God is learning to assign value like God assigns value, especially as it relates to people. But what must we take into consideration if we're going to assign value like God assigns value to people? Put another way, in light of our series, how does the king think about people and how should this shape the way that we think about and relate to people as citizens of the kingdom? For this, we turn to Luke 15. In this chapter, Jesus tells a few parables. And as we continue through our series, this is going to add a significant contribution to what we're working through as it relates to the kingdom. So we're going to approach this passage through two points this morning as we consider the lost sons and the loving son. Two points. We're going to consider the lost sons and the loving son. So let's look at this first point, the lost sons. In verses one through two, if you look at the text, we are given some very important information that helps us to understand what's going on in this teaching. What, what is happening in the telling of these three parables? What is it that prompts Jesus to tell these three parables? If you look at the text, it says in verses one through two, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, just to translate this for you a little bit, this is a mixed gathering of people. They're all Jews. They all had a shared cultural understanding of the way things ought to be. And there was a social pecking order that had developed. And what you need to appreciate is that in an earnest attempt to follow God, the religious leaders had gotten to a point where they did not want to associate with those who were willingly squandering their lives and who were living immoral lives. You have to understand there are so many people today who are the same way. You act like who you hang around. So let's not be around people who are going to drag us down. They wanted to be righteous. They wanted to be holy. But at this gathering, there are sinners. That's basically everyone who is immoral or worked in some kind of immoral trade, according to the religious leadership, and tax collectors. And one of the things that you have to appreciate about this, you can appreciate this, is tax collectors were widely understood to be those who were colluding with the oppressive power. It, it, was, it, was, it was those who were collecting money on behalf of Rome from their fellow countrymen. But here's the deal. 
Rome did not give them any specific amount that they had to collect. It was a bit ambiguous, but they expected you to collect. So when you actually went out, you would try to squeeze as much money as you could, and then you would show up on the day that you paid the taxes. And whatever they asked for, you gave, and anything that was left over, you kept for yourself. And so what ended up happening is that tax collectors ended up growing wealthy off of their fellow countrymen. And so you can imagine how hated they were. Every time you saw them, you were like, traitors. These are the oppressive people who are, who are trying to stamp us out and hold us down. And you're on their team. They were, they were hated. They were despised. But they're around this, this table with Jesus. This is in a, another festive setting, another party setting. And it's in this context that Jesus begins to, to tell them a series of parables. And he, and he intends these parables to hit the diversity of the people who were gathered there. He wasn't just preaching to the choir. He was also preaching to the fire. He's preaching to everyone who's there. And I want you to appreciate this about Jesus. Jesus knew how to put the word to people of various backgrounds. He knew how to translate his message to people of every walk of life. And that's what we see him doing here with these stories. And in each of these parables, you need to appreciate, there's three parables. You notice them, right? Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. And in each of these parables, the, the common theme is lostness. And in each story, there's a search for what is lost because it's of such great value and relative value increases through the telling of the stories. Here's what you need to see. Each parable is about something lost that is very valuable. And as the parables move on, it goes from a lost sheep, one out of a hundred, to a lost coin, one out of ten. So you go from one percent to ten percent. The loss is increasing. The sense of loss is increasing and the depth of value is increasing. Then you get to a lost son, one out of two. That's 50 percent. So Jesus begins to tell these parables. He starts with the lost sheep. Shepherding was common imagery of the time, right? It's common imagery, and, and what you have to appreciate is this. Here, here, here it is in a nutshell. Shepherds traveled together. And so this story is about a shepherd who leaves his 99 sheep with his companions, and he personally goes after that one sheep that is lost. He, he finds that sheep in his joy. He carries that sheep back to his companions, and he invites them to celebrate with him at finding his lost sheep. They rejoice. And that is what real friends do when their fellow shepherd returns with, with finding his lost item. Real friends celebrate, and real friends of God celebrate when he finds what has been lost to him. They rejoice. All of heaven even rejoices over the recovery of one sinner. Look at the mental image that Jesus is painting. And these people, these tax collectors and these sinners are sitting there. And this is shocking to them that a Jewish rabbi is telling them that as sinners, as tax collectors, they are lost but still loved and valued by God, by heaven, all of heaven. This was astonishing to them. They weren't hearing anyone 
teach like this. And then in the next parable, verses 8 through 10, in this next parable, a woman loses a coin representing 10% of her meager resources. And after searching for this coin, you might say, well, what was the big deal? She dropped the coin in her house. Well, houses at the time, the, the floors were very rugged and there were crevices everywhere, and you might lose that coin forever as you're sweeping and the dust covers it over and it's hidden in the crevices of the house. But this woman pulls out her lamp and she searches diligently. This represents 10% of her income. Could you imagine losing 10% of your entire net worth? You know you'd be searching for that. You'd be looking. You'd be digging. You'd be thinking. You'd be praying. I know I would. Then when she finds the coin, after she finds the coin, she calls friends and neighbors to rejoice. And then Jesus draws this same conclusion as in the previous parable. Heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents. And they're all looking in astonishment at Jesus. And he's really, really frustrating the religious leadership. But then Jesus says, okay, let me tell you one more. Let me tell you one more. And it's beautiful because in this final and climactic parable, Jesus is going to show these, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, that they, they can still come in too. They don't have to be alienated from the Father. And so listen, we come to this, this final climactic parable in verses 11 through 32. Jesus comes to this climactic story, and we need to continue to keep in mind the mixed crowd that is gathered there. And remember our first sermon of the series. Remember that the entire purpose of the ministry of Jesus, the essence of the ministry of Jesus, is not just to float around doing generally nice things. It's not just to float around and, and offer some new angles on his teaching. Jesus, his specific target is this. Remember, Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's the purpose of his ministry. That's the aim of his teaching. His life, his death, his burial, his resurrection is all meant to prompt that. Faith and repentance. And that's why he's telling this story of the two sons. And he doesn't just want the tax collectors and sinners to repent and come in to the party of God. He wants the Pharisees and religious leadership to come into the party of God. He wants them too. And that's going to become more and more powerful as we work through this text. But listen, this parable of the prodigal sons, this parable has been regarded by many as one of the greatest of all the parables. And what has commonly taken place classically is that this parable has been called the, the story of the, the parable of the prodigal son. And there has been an overemphasis on the wayward son who runs away. We recognize that picture, right? That one's familiar. I mean, some, some of us know that story well. I know that story well. Asking for what I could have so that I could go out, be a fool, find all of the pleasures I could find, and try to enjoy life apart from the Father. I know that life. Some of you know that life. But what is often underappreciated is that it's not about just one son. It's about that, but it's also about 
the other son too. But more than these two sons, it's about a father. And even more, it's about another son. And so we need to dial in right here and follow this story. It begins in verse 11 by saying that there was a man who had two sons. And this is the way we need to understand this parable. Two sons, keep your eyes open, keep your minds open, envision the story, and and then try to go back and forth between the story itself and the characters in Jesus' story, and then the audience to whom Jesus is speaking. I know it's a lot to keep in tension, but just try to keep these pictures in mind. Now, Jesus begins to unfold this story about this, these two sons. His father has two sons. And the first son comes to his father, and he, he comes with a very unusual request. He comes with an unusual request that he could have his share of the inheritance. Now, this was highly unusual. It was not expected, and it could be construed as disrespectful, even heartbreaking. There were rabbinic texts that suggested that this was a very bad idea and it shouldn't happen. But this son comes and he asks for his share, and what would his share have been? One-third of the estate. According to the laws and customs of the time, the older son lived under what was known as the law of primogeniture. And that meant that he got two-thirds of the estate for being the oldest son. And then the other third was split among the other the other sons, if there were any more. But here we have two sons. So this younger son takes a third of his father's wealth. He asks for it. And what's even more shocking is that the father gives it. There's no, there's no battle. There's no back and forth. And he takes everything. And the text says that he goes, gathers up all of his things, verse 13, everything that he's just inherited. And he takes a journey, the text says, into a far country. Into a far country. This language was familiar to people at the times because when they heard the language off to a far country, they were reminded of when Israel was stranded in exile in a far country. They remember wondering how they could sing the songs of Zion in a far country, in a strange land. They knew what the far country was. It was alienation from God. And all of a sudden, all immediately, we are starting to get the world of illusion that this son is representative of some of these people who are gathered to hear Jesus preach. He goes off far from his true home. You see this? He goes away from his father. He goes away from the home where he belongs And it helps the tax collectors and sinners to understand that they're estranged from God. And in this far off country, this far country, the young man squanders everything in reckless living. He's having the time of his life. He's having a great time for a little while. He's enjoying himself for a little while. He's making great memories for a little while. Does anybody know about that, that little while? He, he's, he's spending all his money. He goes up into the club and he's like, drinks on me. And he's spreading out the paper. 
Everything's on me, y'all don't worry. And the friends are all around when you're buying the drinks. The friends are all around when you're paying the bill. But soon the text says, he ran out of money. Look at what the text says. Not many days later, after the son gathered all he had, he took a journey into a far-off country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, tapped out, he didn't have the resources to sustain this life of fun and pleasure-seeking. He ran out, and to make matters worse, he finds himself in a land of famine, You see, the far off country, in the way that Jesus tells the story, is the land of famine. It's not the land of plenty. It's not the land of joy and pleasures forevermore. It's the land of limited pleasures. It's the land of limited happiness. It's the land of famine. And as this younger son finds himself in that land with no money. Famine has struck. He begins to spiral. He begins to spiral so much so that the text tells us that he went to seek out a man of that far-off country to get employment taking care of pigs. And hopefully you are aware enough of Jewish culture to appreciate that this was one of the lowest things you could imagine. And not only does the text say he was working, taking care of the pigs, but the text tells us that he was in such a bad place that he was longing to eat what the pigs were eating. You have to be in a bad place when your appetite aligns with a pig. That's how poor he was. That's how destitute he was. That's how depressed he was. That's how low he was. That's how down and out he was. And when he hits that bottom, I love what the text says. Because now you can start to see, he, when Jesus gets to the bottom, now he's about to give the tax collectors and sinners a word of hope. And you know what it starts with? But when he came to himself, Verse 17 through verse 19. When he came to himself. In other words, this life in the far country is not who this son was supposed to be. This is not the way he was meant to live. He was not meant to find himself in this kind of place. He was made for a better place. He was not made for loneliness. He was made for a father's embrace. He was not made for poverty. He was made for the riches of a father's, a father's bank. He was made for a better life. But, but it starts with him coming to recognize his true self. Have you come to recognize your true self? Who you really are as someone made in the image and likeness of God? Have you come to realize your great value to God? It's an astonishing thing. And you know what? Why does Jesus tell this parable? Why is this so profound? Because Jesus knows that the only thing that will really change you is to know that you are valued by God. 
To know that you are valued by God, that his, that his love is for you, that's the only thing that will change you. That's the only thing that will give you the slightest hint that you could come back home. So he comes to his senses at his lowest point. When he realizes there's no way out, he says, I will go home to my father. But here's the thing. This is a sincere desire to go home to the father. But even in his sincerity, he still doesn't really get who his father is. He doesn't get the father because he hatches a plan in which he can work back to make restitution. Now, this is where this father is going to prove himself to be different from what everyone there was expecting. It was common expectation that if you bailed on the family like this, he took a third of his father's wealth, that the only way that you could be brought back into the community, into the kahal, the gathering, was if you made restitution, you paid back for the crime you committed. And that was a principle of justice in the Old Testament. If you sinned against someone and you broke it, you make it right. So this was on their minds. This was in the boy's mind. So he decides, all right, here's my plan. He gets his speech ready. When I see him, now he's, imagine what he's expecting his father to be like. In his mind, he has a picture of what the father is going to be like if he gets to see him. This is the way he pictures the father. Arms crossed, angry, frustrated, livid, ready to light him on fire with a verbal rundown of all the ways that he has damaged the life of the family and broken the father's heart. How could you do this to me? How could you do this to this family? Do you know the shame that you brought on our family? The shame that you brought to me? Do you realize what you have done? This is what he expected to encounter. Now, he starts to make the long journey home. But verse 20 through 24 is shocking. It's shocking, y'all. There, there very well have, may have been an audible gasp from everyone who was there in the audience of Jesus. Utterly shocking when these words ring out from the mouth of Jesus in his story. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Imagine the audible gasp from those who were gathered there. Where can I find a father like this? Where can I find a father who would respond to me like this? Where can I find a father who would be looking for me even though I willingly ran away? Where can I find a father who will run to me where can I find a father when he gets to me, would embrace me, smelling and stinking like a doggone pig pen, 
and then called for the best robe, which was his robe, to be put on him. Where can I find a father who would put the ring on that says that you are reinstated into the family again and put shoes on his feet? Where can you find a father that would kill the fatted calf? These people didn't eat meat every day. This was super special. Where can you find a father that would kill a fatted calf in celebration of such a son? And Jesus says, I can tell you where. My father. That's what my father's like. That's what you can expect from him, tax collectors and sinners. Come to him. Come to yourself. Return home. This is the message that, that Jesus gives to those who are like the younger son. And what you have to appreciate is that Jesus is trying to simplify things for us to understand that there are two basic categories of sons and daughters. Those who are lost like the younger son, and Jesus has just covered that, but now he's going to show you a different kind of lostness in the older son. And that's where the story begins to turn. We have seen in the story up to this point, the, the first scene, now we're going to turn to the second scene. In the first scene, we see that sinners of various stripes find in this God a heart that is big enough to forgive. In this God, we see arms that are willing to embrace. In this God, we see a kingdom that's wide enough to include people like that. But they aren't the only ones who need, who need to hear this story of rescue. And that turns us to the older brother. Now, verses 25 through 28. Find the older brother hard at work, diligent. Notice that in the text. Look at the text. Where do you find the older brother taking care of his business, doing what he knows he's supposed to do? And he's coming in from a hard day's work out in the field, taking care of his, his father's estate, being responsible and diligent, doing the things he's, he's supposed to be doing in order to be a, a good son. And as he approaches, he hears the sound of music and dancing. He comes to find out that his father is throwing the biggest party of his life that fool of a brother, that no good, good for nothing, low down, dirty dog who left him holding all of the work, all of the responsibility, all of the care for their father, all of it fell on him. And, and not only did all the res responsibility fall on this older brother, all of the shame fell on this older brother for the way his father just let his son go. He is indignant. His father's showing the most amazing party he's ever thrown for this fool of a son. He disrespected the father, ran off with a third of the estate, and stuck him holding it all. The worst part was that he killed the fatted calf for him. That just, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. He's celebrating him. He's throwing a party for this fool. Livid. He is livid. But I want you to notice something in verse 28. 
older brother is refusing the greatest party that his father has ever thrown. And I want you to see, this is so important. Verse 28, but the father goes out again, this time to a son who never physically left, but was alienated all the same. Do you see this? His father came out and entreated him. Not only did the father look out and run out to the younger son, but now he goes out to the older son. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that both sons are estranged. Both sons are lost. Both sons are lost, but in different ways. They're lost, but in different ways. And I want you, listen, this is important. I want you to imagine the pleading of the father to the older son. Do you see how Jesus is appealing to the Pharisees? We like to beat up on Pharisees, don't we? Just go ahead and tell the truth. You and I like to beat up on Pharisees. But what I want you to see is that even Jesus is compassionate toward the Pharisees. Yes, he battles with them, but it is all in an attempt to appeal to them, to repent, to come back home. And in this image, we are shown the way that you are supposed to deal with the Pharisee. If you despise Pharisees, what you're revealing is that you too are a Pharisee. The way that you bring a Pharisee home is by compassion and mercy. And that's what Jesus is showing us. And if Pharisee is strange language for you, it's those, it's like those who pride themselves in always doing the good and moral thing. But secretly inside, they got some junk going on in their hearts. They are able to do things out of duty externally. They show up to church. They pay their tithes. They show up at the events. They do their quiet times. They, they do all the things that are supposed to be visible in the life of the insider. And don't hear me saying that any of those things are a bad thing. You need to do all those things. Praise his name. But it's those things devoid of a true warmth of heart and affection for God and people. The heart is what was lacking. And that's why in other places, Jesus would call them whitewashed tombs. They were pretty on the outside, but dead on the inside. And it's a warning to us to not just play church. Don't just play religious. You know, one of, one of the funniest and saddest things that I see is as a pastor, when people find out I'm a pastor and they try to, you know, throw me a bone just to let me know they're cool. Oh, yeah, you know, hey, praise the Lord, pastor. And then they wind up, they're slipping up cursing later. Oh, excuse me. You know, that, I, never, I never talk like that. It just slipped out, you know, like, I'm like, I don't care about all that. But I really do care about whether or not you're the real deal. And if you feel like you need to be a pretender and a performer, that's the issue. We like to beat up on the Pharisees, but Jesus is showing us a father who tenderly appeals to them to repent and join the party. He knows that the only hope for both sons is the kindness and mercy and compassion of the father. Verse, verses 29 through 30. You just need to appreciate this in the text. 
You would never, in this culture, in this Jewish culture, you would never address your elder without a title. And here, the younger son's response, what does he say? He says, look you. That's how he responds to his father. It is utterly disrespectful. It is utterly demeaning and shameful. And now the older brother has revealed who he truly is. He has contempt for the father. Both are lost. Here is the point of the parable, and then I'm going to turn the corner and close it. Here's the point of the parable. There are two ways that you can be lost. One son was lost because of his badness. And the other son was lost because of his goodness. Did you realize that you could be lost because of your goodness? And what Jesus is saying is that you need to repent both of your badness, but you need to repent of your goodness. Both sons don't want the father. They want the father's stuff, but they don't want the father. That's what both of them reveal about themselves. And they just express it in different ways. Do you know that shows up today in the same way? Those who are like, woo, let's have a good time. Bam, you know, they go out and they kill it. And then there are the people who are responsible. They pay their taxes. They, they're, they're part of res respectable institutions. They're well-known figures in the neighborhood and in society. They have a respectful career. They don't really hurt anybody. They never really done anything wrong to anyone. They have, they have lived pretty middle-of-the-road lives. And it is their damnable goodness that is their end. That's their downfall. Do you know what it's like to prop yourself up in that way? Jesus is saying, come home. Come home to the party. Come home to the celebration. He's saying it to those who are lost in their badness, who, who they're thrill-seeking, and they really think they're having a good time. They think the party's not going to end, but it's, it's going to end. That is the land of famine. Do you see the appeal? Jesus is saying the only hope for both sons is ultimately going to be the loving son. The only hope for lost sons is the loving son. That's our second point. We come to the, the loving son. Now listen, this parable ends in attention. We don't know if the older brother actually came in to the party. But he leaves an intention because he's leaving open the possibility that you can make a choice today. You can make a choice today. Will you come into the party? Jesus, Jesus is telling them this story of the two sons in order to show this gathered crowd of Pharisees, tax collectors, and sinners, what he has done and what his father has done to save both types. And that's the good news. How can God recover both sons? How can God recover younger sons and older sons through his loving son? Jesus, I want you to see this. All of the expressions of the goodness of the father in this parable are found in Jesus. All of the goodness of this father in this parable, when he searches, when he embraces, when he kisses, when he covers, when he recovers, when he parties and celebrates, these qualities in all of their goodness are found in Jesus. Jesus is the expression of the heavenly father's search for the lost sons. 
That's why he sent Jesus. And that's why Jesus said, I have come to seek and save that which was lost. I am the father's agent of recovery. I am the one who brings recovery. Jesus is the expression of the father's covering of the filth of the son. Imagine the image. He's covered in the stink of the pig pen. And the father says, bring the best robe. Just imagine him spreading it over him and cloaking him and saying, give me that hand, boy, and putting that ring on his finger. He stands there simultaneously dirty and delighted in by his father. He stands there stinking but saved. And that's where each and every one of us who claim faith in Jesus are today. We stink, but we're loved. And he's going to clean us up. He's going to clean us up. Every expression of what happens in this parable, the celebration is hosted by the Father. But what makes room for that celebration for us? A death, a burial, and a resurrection. That's what makes room for us to celebrate. This is good news for both kinds of sons. They both have a shared hope. That is only to be found in Jesus. Every expression of the reality comes in Jesus. This search, this welcome, this grace, this covering. So the question for us as we are listeners, one, are you coming home to the Father? Have you come home to the Father? And two, Are you repenting not only of your badness, but also your goodness? All the stuff that you're very proud of yourself for doing. That on the low, you think God is impressed with. Remember, the father throws the son's script out. He ignores it. He says, there's one way for you to come back into his house, son, and his mercy, and I'm glad to give it. And he just, he doesn't even pay attention to his script. Would you get rid of yours? Get rid of your script. The other thing is this, and this is important. Jesus was also trying to communicate to the religious leaders. Y'all, we got to make room for these people. We got to make room. If your gospel has no room for those people, then it's not good news. It is not good news. If our gospel has no room for people in this neighborhood or in this city, then it's not good news. That is the acid test. Can those people be included in your gospel? The people who you think are really, really bad and jacked up, can they be included? That's the acid test of your gospel. And if you find yourself with this real gospel, then the next invitation of this text is to be someone who is actively communicating this welcome of the Father. Come home. It's no surprise that this follows off of our text from last week. We're still in the theme of a party. And there are, there are two ways to be lost, but one way to get back into the party, and that is the Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray that we would be the kind of people that represent him well in this city. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this story. It's so hopeful for people like us. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to just marvel at what it means for you to have searched us out. To marvel and be astonished at what it means 
to hear the welcome from you. That your spirit brought us to ourself. And that you, Father, sent your son so that we could join the party. Lord, we pray that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation. And we pray for our friends in here who are still working through all this. Pray, Lord, that you would help them to see that it's a famine out there and that the resources will dry up, but there is a place where the party does not end, and that is in the presence of the Father. Lord, we pray that good news would break forth from this community now and evermore. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.